Well, what's up, PVN students? Welcome back. Uh, we had a couple weeks hiatus, a couple weeks of uh, sabbatical, not really, um, just kind of getting getting prepped, having some seminary stuff, and went to SLU, went with my fingers, went to SLU 101 uh, with Noah Campbell. We had a great time in the student building, but now we're back. We finished up Ruth, and now we're in the New Testament with Galatians. Uh, we'll be obviously, I hope, in Galatians chapter 1 today, verses 1 through 5. But, but today, as we begin our series in Galatians, uh, I, I want to begin by asking you a few questions, most of which Galatians can help us with. And this is also kind of the overarching theme of the book. What do you believe? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? What do you believe about the Bible? How do you think people get eternal life? What do you believe about race? What do you think happens after we die? All these questions fall under the banner of what do you believe? What you believe about God influences everything you do. What you don't believe about God influences everything you do. What you believe, in, in short, what you believe about God, what you believe in general, determines every action you take. Every single thing you do is a statement of belief about something in your life. Let me say that again. Every single thing you do is a statement of belief about something in your life. What Hitler believed about the superiority of the German race and what he believed about the advantages of a dictatorship system of government started World War II. What Martin Luther King believed about every person, regardless of color, being made in the image of God, shook America to its core and helped continue the process of bringing racism into the light. When Martin Luther, no relation, but what Martin Luther believed about being saved by grace and not by works, led him to posting the 95 Theses on the door of All Saints Church in Germany in 1517 and lit the world on fire, helped break the chains of the salvation by works belief in Roman Catholicism, and is almost certainly, what happened in 1517, what Martin Luther believed in 1517, is almost certainly the reason anyone listening to this is Protestant today. These are just a couple of examples to show you that what we believe is not just something that you put on a Nike poster. What we believe is everything. Belief in things is worth fighting for. And some beliefs are worth giving your life for. Matthew 10, 34 to 36, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring, to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be members of his household. Now this verse is not an excuse for you to argue with your parents about everything. Some students just like arguing about things. That's not the point of this verse. But the point of this verse spoken by Jesus Christ himself, by the way, is that what you believe about him is worth taking a stand for because it is the most important thing in the world. 
What you believe about Jesus is more important than friendships. What you believe about Jesus is more important than who you will, who you will marry. What you believe about Jesus is more important than whether or not you graduate with enough AP credits, believe it or not. What you believe about Jesus is more important than what job you'll get. What you believe about Jesus is more important than what your family believes about him. He is the most important person in the universe. Therefore, what you believe about him is the most important question you will ever have to answer. And we will all have to answer. This is why Paul wrote the letter of Galatians. So let's look at this real quick and then we'll talk some more. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Again, this is why Paul wrote Galatians, because what you believe is the most important thing. Galatians 1, 1 to 5. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God and our God and Father. To whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. If you look on a map today, you won't find Galatia, okay? You won't find it. But connected to Iran, you'll see this country called Turkey. Galatia was in this area, modern-day Turkey. The area Paul is writing to is probably South Galatia. It's an area that's comprised of Jews and Gentiles, which is the whole point of this letter. If you want to read about Paul going to Galatia, what happened in Galatia before Paul wrote a letter to them? You need to read Acts 13 and 14. The cities of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe are all in Galatia. Okay, those are all cities in the area of Galatia that Paul would letter that Paul would later write the letter of Galatians to. Paul has massive success in his preaching in these cities. Specifically, this is the whole point, specifically preaching the message that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, Gentiles can now become Christians. A Gentile is anyone who's not Jewish. This message is, is for the Jews, but it's also for the Gentiles. Now, to be Jewish does not always mean that you were born in the Jewish race. To be, to be born in the race of Hebrew is not the only way that you can become or be Jewish. It can just mean that you follow the Jewish customs. If you do that, then you are also Jewish. If you follow these Jewish customs, it doesn't matter where you're from, you have now become Jewish. But what Paul was teaching to the Galatians is that they no longer have to do these Jewish customs to be considered part of the people of God. Up to this point, in order to be in God's family, you had to be Jewish. You had to follow these Jewish customs. And now Paul is saying that is no longer the case. Now that Jesus has come and risen from the dead, those ceremonial laws and rituals that you had to follow as a Jewish person, they're no longer necessary. And the moral laws, right? The moral laws of do this because it's right. Don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, don't lie. 
laws that we could never keep all of them perfectly, laws that, by the way, we could never keep any of them perfectly, Paul says, this Jesus Christ lived a life that was perfect. He lived in such a way that he never committed any sins. Not only did he never commit murder, he never had an ounce of hatred towards anybody in his heart. Well, I've never murdered anybody. Yeah, but can you say that second part about yourself? That you've never harvested any feelings of hatred towards anybody in your I, I can't. I can't say that about myself. Jesus says that hatred is the root of murder. It's the same root sin. So don't feel super great about yourself just because you've never committed a murder. One, congrats. But two, it's the same root in our hearts. And we don't take that seriously. But it's true. Can you say that about yourself? That you've, that you've never felt hatred for anybody. Jesus never lied. He was never selfish. Let me say this again. He was never selfish. I can't even wrap my head around never being selfish. Jesus Christ lived the life that you and I could never live, and then he rose from the dead. And him rising from the dead means that everything else he said about being God, about being perfect, about being our only, the only way to heaven, it's true. His ability to come back from the dead validates everything he said before this. And his resurrection from the dead means that the old ways are no longer necessary. Not that they weren't good, not that they weren't helpful, but that they are no longer, in light of his resurrection, in light of his perfect life, these older ways are no longer necessary. For example, you know, we say, you don't have to clean yourself up before you go to God. We say that has been said at Collide and Beach Camp literally ever since I've been born, right? And far beyond that. You don't have to clean yourself up to get to God. Well, in the Old Testament, you did. You did have to clean yourself up and you get kicked out of the synagogue if you preach that you didn't. You might even get killed if you said you don't have to clean yourself up to get to God because this was a holy God, this is a holy God. When he appeared on Mount Sinai to bring the Ten Commandments, he tells Moses to keep everyone away from the mountain and to make the animals on the mountain graze in a different place. Animals couldn't even touch this mountain that God was on, or they would die because God is so mighty and holy and pure and everything and everyone is tainted and corrupted by sin. So yes, you have to clean yourself up before you go to God, especially in the Old Testament. You had to clean yourself up. And by the way, in the Old Testament, see, here's the issue. The ritual washing that you had to do, right, in these pools outside the temple, you had to ritually cleanse yourself. Some, some Eastern religions still involve a ritual washing of yourself before you go into the presence of God. But here's the problem. When you are ritually cleansing yourself, you're not really cleansing yourself. And you know this. You can get a bath and your skin is clean, but you still think dirty thoughts. The cleansing water didn't actually work. And that was part of the point. That's part of God's point. The water doesn't actually clean you. It points to the fact that inside you're still dirty. 
In Acts 13, Paul's in Galatia in a city called Antioch. And here's what he says, Acts 13, 39. And by Jesus Christ, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Let me say that again, then I'll explain it. And by Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. So through Jesus Christ, there's a freedom, there's a cleansing that takes place that the law of Moses was never designed to do. God knows that that physical water can't reach into your skin and cleanse your soul. He knows that. It was never designed to do that. But now through Jesus Christ, there is a freedom, there is a cleansing that comes that the law of Moses was never meant to bring. The law of Moses was great at the time. It was given by God. It was God's idea. But it was never meant to free you from your sin. Another big thing in the Old Testament was the sacrificial system. This was another huge thing that the Jews of the New Testament believed in. The sacrifice of animals. You would bring a spotless lamb and the priest would tell you to put your hand on the head. A lot of people don't know this. Part of, this, part of the ritual was you would, the person bringing the lamb or the animal, you would put your hand on the head of the animal before it was sacrificed. That hand placement was a symbol of you putting your sins on the animal, you transferring your sins to the animal. And then you watch the animal die because of your sin. Well, that's cruelty. They shouldn't do that. Well, then quit sinning. It's up to you. Well, how's that supposed to make me quit sinning? Exactly. Hebrews 10, 3 through 5 says, But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That's what the Bible says. It is impossible for the blood of goats and cattle to take away sins. Therefore, when Jesus comes into the world, verse 5, did you catch it? The sacrifices didn't actually take away your sins. They, They prevented God's wrath but they didn't actually take away the sins. I mean, can you even think about it? You, you, you're an ancient Israelite. You go and you perform the sacrificial ritual, and then you leave and you go back to committing the same sins that you had to do the ritual for in the first place. It hasn't done, the cycle continues. It's unbroken. The sacrifices didn't actually take away sins, just like the water of the ritual didn't wash you clean. And it reminded you of how sinful you were. If anything, it just pointed you to the mercy of God. It reminded you that there's nothing in yourself you can do to fix it. You've got to run to God for mercy. Year after year, the sacrificial system said, if you weren't like this, we wouldn't have to do this. But because you made this sacrifice, I'll spare you. This was the Old Testament Jewish system. And it was, I heard a person compare it like this. It's like paying for something. The Old Testament sacrificial system is like paying for something on credit. When you swipe that credit card, you don't have to pay for it now. But trust me, come the fifth of every month, you will have to pay. 
And you can't just keep swiping the credit card to keep paying that debt because you're just postponing. You're not paying anything. You're postponing the day that you will actually have to pay this off. And in the same way, when you, when you make the sacrifice for sin, you're not actually paying for your sins committed. You're postponing God's wrath for those sins. And it might feel like you're in the clear, but every time that animal is sacrificed, every time that card is swiped, you're really just adding to your debt. If you sit there and think about credit card debt long enough, it's going to scare you to death. And in the same way, if you set, Paul's point is, if you sit there and think about the sacrificial system long enough, if it's not actually getting rid of your sins, they're just building up. It's getting worse. And God says you can't pay all this off. It's impossible. All your sins. You need someone to come and pay the debt. Hebrews 10.5. Therefore... When Jesus comes into the world, that's why it's good news. Jesus Christ accomplished what the old Jewish system was never meant to accomplish. And since the Jewish system could not do what Jesus could, since the Jewish system could not do what Jesus could, there's no need for new Christians to go back to the old Jewish system. If you have $10 million in your pocket to spend, you don't have to use your credit card at the movies. So why would you go back? Especially when the credit card actually can't pay for anything. It's dangerous to go back. Paul is telling the Galatian Gentiles and the Jews, this was his message, to he would always start in the synagogues. Who meets in the synagogues? The Jewish people. He always started with the Jewish people and then he would branch out to the, to, the Jew to the Gentiles. Golly, when the Jewish people quit listening. Paul is telling Galatian Gentiles and Jews that a better way has come. The only way to become clean. Now think about it. You're a Jewish person. For thousands of years, this is what you've been doing. The only way to become clean is not ceremonial washing. It's Jesus. The only real sacrifice that brings freedom and forgiveness is not animals. It's Jesus. The cleansing water is just pointing to the fact that you need something to cleanse your soul. The sacrificial animals is just pointing to the fact that you need something to actually pay for your sins. And Paul is preaching that as hard as he can in this area of Galatia that is mixed with Jews and Gentiles. And the Gentiles think it's awesome, but here's the problem with the Jewish people. Talk about applying it to today. People don't like change. I think that is the understatement of 2020. We don't like when our favorite restaurant closes. We don't like, okay, for those of you like back in the day who used to have cable or still have cable, every now and then I remember when I was a kid that we'd have the same cable company, but the cable, the channels would just change. ESPN has been channel 35 for four years. Why is it channel 47 now? Now, every time I come home and I hit 35, it's not ESPN. It's the game show network. I don't, I don't want to watch the game show network. I want to watch ESPN. I'm so frustrated, right? We, get, we don't like when our cable provider changes the channels on our TV. We don't like when our phone updates. 
Oh, I hate this new update. And then the next update comes, oh, the old update was so much better. Well, I thought you hated the old update too. I don't understand. We don't like any of the, we don't like change at all. Some of that's pride and some of that's normal, but we don't like change. But there's a deeper level of change. This isn't, this is not the Jews getting their iPhone updated, right? But there's a, there's a deeper level of change that we sometimes don't like. And right now, just as an example, it's happening in our country in terms of racial justice. The very fabric of our society is being called into question. And you turn on the TV for a minute. Get on Facebook and look, look at angry moms for a minute. And you see people's fury when we talk about change. Any change, major or minor. By the way, just wait until we get to Galatians 2, 11 through 19. We're going to talk about it. It's going to be awesome. But take any change you can think of and magnify it even more in the letter of Galatians. That's what Paul's trying to do. The Jews and their practices have been and made them God's people for thousands of years. Thousands. America is 244 years old. Judaism at this point was thousands of years old. There is no modern day comparison. I can't think of an example. There is no modern day comparison to how deeply rooted in this system they were. But God designed, and Paul's point is not that Judaism is wrong, but it's becoming obsolete. It's becoming, in a way, wrong. God designed Judaism to find its fulfillment in Jesus. The Old, it's not that the Old Testament was this way, then Jesus comes, now the Old Testament is broken and ridiculous. The Old Testament is supposed to be fulfilled in Jesus. God designed Old Testament Judaism to find its fulfillment, to find its apex, its climax, its perfection in Jesus Christ. Paul says over and over in the book of Acts that by preaching Jesus, he's just preaching the same message that started in Abraham. And Abraham is the father of Judaism. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything Abraham's been pointing to. So if you reject Jesus, you're not just getting Christianity wrong, you're getting Judaism wrong. Because Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment. Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism. All throughout the book of Acts, when Peter, Philip, Paul, when they preached the good news of Jesus, what did they use? The Old Testament. There was no New Testament. And if they're using the Old Testament to preach about Jesus, then he's clearly in there right under their nose for thousands of years. This is what modern-day Judaism gets wrong. Jesus. Acts chapter 3. But what God... This is Peter in Acts chapter 3. But what God foretold by the mouths of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer... The Old Testament prophets are pointing to this suffering Savior. What does it say in Isaiah? By his wounds, we are healed. What's the Ethiopian eunuch reading in Acts when Philip comes to him? Isaiah. And what does Philip use to tell him about Jesus? The book of Isaiah. 
In Acts 24, Paul says, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. The law and the prophets, that's the Old Testament. Who appears to Jesus at the transfiguration? Moses, the law. Elijah, the prophets. The entire old, and they're saying, we're, we're waiting on you. We're pointing to you. We're looking to you. This is what the Jewish people failed to see. Jesus is the point of Old Testament Judaism. Jewish religion was supposed to crescendo at the coming of Jesus, not split into Christianity and Judaism. But the reason it did is because the Jewish people of the time didn't worship Jesus. They clung to the old system. We don't want the money. We're going to keep paying on credit. Jesus would fulfill everything Judaism stood for. And through fulfilling that, the Jewish people would then get to take this message to the rest of the nations. It doesn't matter that you can't cleanse yourself through our rituals. You don't have to. Jesus has died and risen from the dead. We don't even have to do that anymore. So come and listen. You see how it's, it's going to be for everyone. The Old Testament is come and see. The New Testament is go and tell. Gentiles were always part of the plan. We just got out of the book of Ruth, for goodness sakes. The Moabite. Gentiles were always part of the plan. And Jesus is the center of that plan. The plan will not work without Jesus. Revelation, the scroll cannot be opened by anyone except the Lamb. And by ignoring Jesus, the Jewish people are completely missing the point of their own religion. That's Paul's point. The Jewish purification laws and sacrifices were, were meant for a specific era, and now that era has been fulfilled. It's complete. And if you don't get that, you miss the whole point. So yes, Gentiles, come. You don't have to be Jewish anymore. You are no longer considered unclean, Acts chapter 10. You are now welcome to listen to the message of Jesus Christ. They've always been welcome, but the Jews saw their special law as just that, their special law, and it became a source of pride, both religious and ethnic. So instead of mixing with the world and teaching the world, they either shunned the world or just became like the world. They missed the missional aspect of their religion. And now that Jesus has come, it's only missional. There is no come be like us. There is, let me tell you about him. But when you're trying to rewire thousands of years of missing the point, you can bet there's going to be problems. Men that Paul calls the Judaizers later in Galatians, it means live like Jews. You can already see the problem, right? These men come into Galatia after Paul has left. There's a good chance they're the same people that almost killed him in Acts 14 in Galatia. They come in and they begin to teach. Remember what we said at the beginning. If what you believe is the most important thing in the world, then what you are taught is the most important part of your world. If what you believe is the most important thing in your world, then what you are taught is the most important part of your world. And these men and women come in and begin to teach that in order to be a Christian, you have to adhere to the old Jewish system. 
These Gentiles can't just believe in Jesus, and that's everything. They've got to adhere to the old Jewish system. See, they fail to see that Jesus has fulfilled the old Jewish system. And they also teach that Paul is a joke. You see in Galatians 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul's saying, I am not sent to you by some group. He's attacking this argument that the Judaizers were making in Galatia. The Judaizers would say that Paul is just some loony from a group of fools. And Paul is saying, and we'll say again, no, I'm not. I'm not from some cult. Jesus Christ sent me here. This message that I'm giving to you about the Gentiles and about what Jesus has done and what that means for you as a Jewish person, this message is legit. Paul will spend almost all of chapter 1 of Galatians defending his, his apostleship because he needs them to believe in him so that they'll believe his message. Galatians 1 chapter 4. Galatians 1 chapter 4. Who gave him, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us. This is Paul's point. Jesus Christ gave himself to rescue us, which means if he doesn't give his life, there is no rescue for us. If the Old Testament Jewish system could rescue us from our sin and from death, Jesus, then why would Jesus Christ come? If Jesus Christ doesn't give his life, there is no rescue. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, there is no rescue for you. He is the only way. Remember what Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 39. He's praying to God and he says, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. And God still had to put his son on the cross because there is no other way. It's not just there is no other way and that's, that's what's right and everyone else is wrong. And that, well, I'm just making up that rule. There is no other way. If your house is on fire and the only way to get off is to, get, is to grab the ladder that the helicopter has, has dropped down to you, this is the only way. I'm not trying to be smug. I'm not trying to be superior. I'm not trying to show disrespect for, for Muslims and Buddhists and atheists. I'm not trying to do This is the only way to get out of the burning building. This is the only way. If God could have done anything else besides sacrifice his son, don't you think he would have? But Jesus Christ's sacrifice and resurrection is the key to the entire thing. And that's Paul's point. He's not trying to bash Judaism, but he, he's saying this won't work. It will not work. You've got to trust in Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only way to be free from sin and death. And what does it say? To the will of God our Father. This was God's will. Sometimes we think that God the Father is evil and cold, and Jesus is kind and always carries sheep everywhere, like he runs a petting zoo. Well, listen, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit form the what? The Trinity. They have always been in perfect agreement and harmony. That's why when people say, well, I don't like what God wrote in Leviticus about marriage. I like what Jesus said. Who do you think was with God when he wrote it? 
Jesus in the Trinity in perfect agreement with everything that's being said. Jesus' perfect love, the, the picking up the lamb, the tenderness, that's the Father's love and tenderness. The Father's perfect anger is Jesus' perfect anger. God loved us so much that he literally sent his son to save us. John 3.16. Everything that God wrote in the Old Testament is in love. And it's like, it's like a flower that hasn't bloomed yet. No one sits there looking at all the flowers that haven't bloomed. No one tries to sell you those. Look how beautiful that is. I can't see anything. It's the flower that's fully blossomed. That's, that's the whole point. No one plants a seed in the ground so that they can watch a flower get to the, the, the budding process and then die and then stop. You plant the seed so that it will bloom. The whole point of God, the Father, planting the seed through Abraham really through Eve, right, is for the flower to bloom. And that's what Paul's saying. The flower has bloomed. Gentiles, come look at this beautiful rose that's bloomed. And the Jews wouldn't take it. So there's this clash in Galatians that, that applies to our life today, both in faith and in culture, in more ways than we can even imagine. And I can't wait to go through it with you.